Welcome to the On Course Podcast presented by New England Golf Journal. I'm Sean Melia. I am joined by my co-host, Jim McCabe. Jim, how you doing? I'm terrific. I think I'm probably doing better than you these days, and you, <laughs> you can explain be, why. You might be. Yes. I thought these opening segments, sometimes I, they come easily. Sometimes I've got to do a little bit of thinking. But this one, I've, I've been without a golf bag for three weeks now. I traveled to Ireland and Scotland. My brother got married. I decided to lug my golf clubs with me to sneak in a few rounds because the idea of renting golf clubs was mm-hmm. not terribly attractive. It is now because my golf clubs are still somewhere in Scotland. And there's probably people out there who have lost golf clubs or have had them kind of go missing for a stretch of time. And then they might show up 30 days, 60 days after, after they've traveled. But golf clubs are one thing, right? They're just hunks of metal. Right. You, there might be some sentimentality behind those, but over the course of the three weeks and kind of like re-putting a bag together, digging out some stuff from my storage unit, using an old, an old golf bag, I found that there were some sentimental items that I miss more and cannot be replaced and cannot go on an insurance claim. And I thought I'd ask you, what are, is there anything in your golf bag that, that kind of holds sentimental value to you that if, if they were, if, they, if, if your bag was lost, or I would encourage people, if you do have things like this, don't bring them with you on your trip. Leave them at home yeah. and just bring the simple things. That's, that's a, a, a regret I have. <laughs> but I wanted to ask you, sentimental items that, uh, that, that you really like. No, golf clubs are important. And of course. Yeah, we personalize them all. But you quickly fall in love with a new driver, a three-wood yep. wedge or whatever. You, yep. you could. Putters might be the, uh, one, the one thing that... Yeah, I, I'm not even... You're not a good putter, I no, guess. Well, no, my favorite putter happens to be in my son's bag because he stole it from me, won't give it back. But got it. That's his it's a story it, for another his, day. He's got to live with that guilt. <laughs> I, I would say I do carry one club that can't not be replaced because there's so much personal. It's the E-Club, and all my friends, anyone who knows me knows I carry it and gets the biggest kick out of it, and they have some of The history of the club, it's the E-Club. It was designed by Michael Bamberger. Okay, yeah, you know, the writer. The the best. He's the best golf writer of this generation, in my humble opinion. And he designed it in the history is real quick. He was caddy on the European tour, and he used to see these chip guys chip with five woods and choke down on five woods. And he says, why don't I just put a, the face of a five wood on a putter shaft? So it's a, it's a conversation piece. I carry it. I actually practice with it because i don't like hitting wedges off tight lies who does yep i feel you. Uh, so i get a lot of joy out of playing but i'm listening to you explain about your clubs if my clubs were to be missing because then they're gonna come back i hope so you know, fingers crossed they'll fingers show up crossed. it would be my e-club and not that i use it and can't play i can't i can play poorly with or without it yeah so that, that it doesn't matter but i love having it in the bag i love practicing with it and there's great sentimental value to me michael michael's a friend who we talk about it all the time <laughs> i remember this i wrote a story about having this e-club and i talked to timmy near and tim near said well i I, I favored it and let my wife try it, and she made a, a hold out, a shot for for putt, for birdie or something. But there's there is there's sentiment of value. All my coins and stuff, I do have special coins, but I have more in the house. They can replace. Yeah, head covers that you can, I can do, replicate where I got those. But sure. the club is it's a one of a kind. Yes, and it's almost. 
I, I think that we've gotten to the point where they ought to allow you to take your golf clubs on board. And if they lose your sluggish, so be it. Yeah. It's, it, it, this is a, it's a, it's like an annual summer nightmare yeah. in Edinburgh. Yep. Yeah. So mine are somewhere in, in Edinburgh. So coins, like you're not a, you're not a ball marker guy. Oh, I, I'm, I'm, well, you I'm, are, but. I'm a specific, yeah. It has to be a Scottish coin that I only. Okay. I have, I, well, I shouldn't say I have a lot of them at home, but I do have enough. It's a Scottish dime. So when you say Scottish, this is, this is not a, a pound. Is it a pound? Well, or is it pre predate the kind of it, it? It's actually the dime, and I guess it might be the euro now. Yeah. Um, well, they don't use euro. That's right. They're a they pound. They're pound right. people. So it's a Scottish pound. Yeah. Okay. Nice. Or so you got British pound, but it's so that's what oh, you mark your ball with. Uh huh. I, I love only, it. I only would carry one coin in my bag because I only have to. My I carry a lot of coins, but on my pocket, I am not one of these people like. And you get someone looking at you as you get a coin. I said, I do for my ball. <laughs> well, what about your ball? I said, go get go your get own your coin. Because if I give you my coin, you're not going to give it back. Yep. Yep. But yeah, I, the sentimental stuff isn't, I don't, no pencils. I take my pencils yep. and, Same here. and put them elsewhere if I really want it. Otherwise I don't keep them in the bag because then you stick your hand in there and cut your hand yeah i've got a mark in my hand right now uh -huh. from, from a pencil you know, they keep your they're the sharpest things in the world unbelievable uh, tease nothing no it's the it's the e club yeah the e club mm -hmm. amazing so is this a club you can make full swings with or is, are you just you can you, you can, can you can well you can uh, make a full swing with any club right well any any club you want but actually i gave the the first time i ever showed anyone i showed the e club to Golf, golf instructor, Tom Kavicki goes, oh yeah, I've seen these pretty cool. He dropped the ball <laughs> and he's actually good. Don't try this at home type of deal. And he likes three quarter swing and hit it about 90 yards and a bullet. Yeah. He goes, it's pretty good. And I'm looking at him. I said, yes, but that's not what I use it for. I, yeah. I putt from fringes. I, I'll, I'll on firm when, when we do get firm and fast over here for a couple of weeks, I guess. I will play it, but I, I couldn't wait to bring it to Scotland. Oh yeah, sure. When I played for the first time and I just reminded a friend of mine today, the other day when he said, oh, I play Gullen. I said, 13th hole, Gullen number two, a 65 footer. With, made, with the E-Club. Yeah, but it was for par. I don't make birdies. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You got a kick out of that. And, and it's a cool little club. It's it, caddies get a kick out of it when they see it. Oh, I bet. I bet they're yeah. confused by it. But that would be that. I my heart goes out to you. I am. I'm gonna pray for you. Thank clubs. you. Thanks. And my my all my ball markers and I've got a putter in there that I bought when I made my college golf team. Bought it on eBay. It's been in my bag for most of the last twenty years. Just, and I'm I, I just I'm hoping that they that they show up. It was uh, to be honest, the putter was on the fritz. It was. It's actually yeah. been kind of nice to have an excuse to try a new putter because I'm, I'm, I'm very loyal to this putter, but yeah, I've got head covers and a couple ball markers. I'm, I'm the same way. I have a, I have an old Irish one pound before they went to the Euro coin that I typically yeah. use. It's got like a, it's, a um, it's big and it's got a buck on it. And then I'm a, I'm a two marker guy. I've got a, I always try to wear, have a flat one for when I get close to the hole. I, I know people always, Ooh, you got something flat. <laughs> I don't, this is it. I said, I'll, but you know, you're still not getting my dime. Yep. Yep. Your e-club reminded me of before we get to Bobby Leopold. Have you ever seen the John Vandeveld 
Never Compromise infomercial where he played the 18th at Carnoustie. He yes. got three chances just with yes. his putter to make better than the seven he did yes. Yes. in 99. And on his third try, he made a six with just a, with a putter, like a blade, never yeah. compromise putter. Prettiest. <laughs> I mean, he could drive it like 220. Well, it was, it's a great, if, it's probably on YouTube somewhere. I would encourage is. people to go watch it because he's like his sense of humor about the whole thing. Because this was in like maybe two years after he blew that three-shot lead and he was totally charming and he, had a blast with the whole thing. I don't think I could um, I'm not sure if there was, there probably were, but it, it, I'm not sure any professional could have handled Jean Von Develde's disaster like he did Yep, in the way he handled yep. it. Yeah. He was fan because he played the PGA Tour for a year or two after that, and he would talk about it anytime, yep. anywhere. Amazing. Yep. Three-shot lead, Carnoustie, 1999, and ends up horrible. Making a triple, going to playoff and losing yes. to Paul Lowry. But So I, I, we're going to go and kick it to our interview with Bobby Leopold, who I can almost guarantee you does not have an E-club in his bag no. and did not use one when he won the Rhode <laughs> Island Amateur Championship no this, this past month. So we're going to bring in Bobby Leopold on today's On Course podcast. Bobby, thanks for, uh, for joining us today. Yeah, it's great. Thanks for having me. Fresh off your fourth Rhode Island Am win, pretty dominant performance. I think the, f I would just like to quickly start with, is that the most locked in you have been playing golf over the course of a week at Montop? Yeah, I'd say that that week, I found something that week that just kind of stayed with me and fed off some stuff I remembered when I was dominant prior to like having kids and having a job that I remembered from back then. And I just kind of bottled that up and just kept going with it. Are you, are you one of those people who likes to share those things or are you yeah. Brian Harmon no, uh... going to hide it all? <laughs> I mean, I, I had, I had some good memories from Montop, obviously winning it back there in 2014 and 2014 was, I just, I, I had one child back then now I have three but I remember from those days when I was playing at my best I kind of just I remembered a couple of things I remembered everyone's just as nervous as you are maybe more fairways and greens win every single time and just shoot under par every single time and I kind of just stuck to those things all week I remembered when I used to I played a lot with Nathan Smith over the years who won, I think he might've won four U.S. Mid-Ams. And every time I spoke to him, he's like, yeah, I, I just tried to shoot under par every time I played match play. He's like, he didn't really focus on who he was playing or anything else. He just focused on the golf course, shooting under par every time. And if you can do that, you're going to be fairly close at the end. And that's kind of what I tried to do. I just tried to shoot under par every time and put myself in a position where my opponent kind of got fed up with me hitting every fairway and hitting every green. And, and there's no reprieve when you do that in match play. And that's, a, it's a demoralizing place to be when you're playing against someone who does that. And I just tried to bottle that a week and I, and I did, and that was pretty cool. I think if you look at the landscape now, let's, let's face it. These, these kids are doing great. I mean, if you're 20 years old now that you're almost old. I, I watched you. I watched your semifinal match, your qu your quarterfinal match, which we'll get to in a little bit. But your semifinal mm -hmm. match, you played young kids, young kids, and yet it seemed to me that you really felt your experience. I'm going to put it to work here. 
Yeah, I certainly did. And I mean, I told myself I've been here before, I've done it before, and I can do it again. Age catches up with you. It always does. But experience, there's, there's really no, there's nothing that can replace that. And I knew that if I put myself in the right spot, it, no matter how young or how aggressive the person I was playing against, if I played my game and did it my way, they wouldn't be able to beat me. So I just, I just tried to do that. I mean, it's a different story when you play against the kids in the Northeast. Those, those are probably the top hundred players in the world. And then there'll be probably 50 of those that'll go on to be top hundred in the world on the, on the, on the pro, pro standpoint. So those guys now, when you go to the U S amateur, for instance, that's a, that's a different animal altogether. That's a, that's a fun place to be, but it's also a lot different than it used to be when I made it, when I made it last year and then I made it, hadn't made it since 2000 and maybe 16 or something like that. It had been a while, the difference in, in quality of talent and depth of field. And it felt like a tour event like that. That's, that's, that was pretty neat. The it's match play in the, it's a long week, but your quarterfinal match, you kind of, it was for you, it maybe wasn't as entertaining as maybe a people, but <laughs> it was a difficult match. Can you explain why and what was going through your mind when you play that? Yeah. I mean, Ty is, I'm working, we work together every day. He's sitting across the office from me. And next your, door. It's your brother-in-law. Uh, to let and he's my, he's my brother-in-law and it's, and I tell people it's a different dynamic to say a brother. You, I have a brother and when you grow up with brothers, you're always competitive against each other. You're always trying to beat the other one, that type of thing. But a brother-in-law is different. He's, he's one of my best friends. I can, I'm pretty fortunate to have that. So teeing it up against him and having to play against him, especially he's also my football partner as well. And when we play on the USGA and the RIGA stuff. So it was a very different dynamic to a lot of the other matches. He obviously wanted to win. I obviously wanted to win, but you know, there's also that in the back of your mind that he still, we're still great friends and we're still trying to keep that fun aspect to the match we were playing versus just trying to beat each other's brains in. So I was, it was one of those matches that we hadn't done it in a while. We, we played, I think in the round of 16 at Potawama back in 2014, maybe or 2016, something like that. This was different though, because Ty's come on a lot. I know how much better a player he is now. So I was kind of worried, like when I saw that I was playing against him, I know how many birdies he can make and how far he can hit it. So at a place like Montauk, I was like, I'm really going to have to be on my A game here to, to beat him. And besides a few missed putts on his part, I mean, it was, it could have come all the way down to 18 if he hadn't, if he hadn't done that. So we're still friends. We're still talking. (laughs) We're still working together. What, uh, just thinking about your mindset, playing match play and focusing on fairways and greens and shooting under par, is that easier or harder when you're playing against someone that you know as well as Tyler? Like, what's that, what's your mindset like on that first tee? Do you have to remind yourself over the course of the round to kind of return to that, to those three things that you mentioned at the start of the the interview? Yeah, I think any match you always, you always try, try not to get ahead of yourself, but you certainly do. And you, you try when you get that, like, oh, I not feel sorry for someone or like you, you lose concentration for that smallest part of time. You have to tell yourself, no, if I give him the smallest opportunity to beat me, he's going to take that and then beat me. So it's like, 
even though I might've fallen into some of those holes during that round about, yeah, he is my, he's a good friend. He's my brother-in-law, but you, you have that like empathetic feeling. You then have to pull yourself out of it and then be like, no, because he's going to, he's going to kill me if I let him take the advantage. So you, you go through golf in general, there's a lot of downtime and then match play, you're walking together, you're talking, chatting. I mean, we weren't, we probably weren't as chatty as we usually would be if we're playing one and moist after work or something, but yeah, you just tried to like enjoy those moments, but at the same time, not enjoy them too much that you forget about the task at hand. Yeah. What is your, your, your background's pretty interesting. Can you just take us through yeah. how you, was it Albany? You grew up in Albany or born yeah, in I was Albany? Born, I was born, you, my, both my parents are doctors. My dad was working at Albany Medical Center, his surgeon. And then we moved back to England after my sister, my sister and I were born in the States. My brother was actually born in England. So we moved back. And then when I was in high school, my best friend was going to college in America. I'd kind of brushed it off. I was like, no, I'm going to go to school in, in England. He said, no, just go. Go look at it. It'd be great to go to school together. So I went to go look at Rollins College, which is in Winter Park, Florida, which is an oasis in yeah. near Orlando that most people have never heard of. When they go there, they can't believe that it's 20 minutes from Orlando. When I, I show up at the campus and there's people sunbathing, there's a lake. I'm like, I'm used to England where it rains 150 <laughs> days of the year and the the suntan is it's what you get if you go like a tanning booth for a, for a girl. There's no real suntans in England. So to be able to like go there and see that. And then my parents give me the opportunity to come to America to play golf. I was extremely fortunate. And for the first, for the first couple of years at Rollins, I struggled with the game a lot. I made a lot of changes to my golf swing that a lot of people don't know the backstory, but I spent my sophomore and junior year not being able to break 90. I mean, I would, you could ask. The guys I was playing with, who are my college friends, are like, why are you doing this? Like your freshman year, you were doing well, you were playing good. I said, I need to make these changes to get better. And I had my father-in-law who was helping me. And then I had Adam Schreiber who helped a lot of guys on the PGA Tour and still does to this time. We worked and I worked and worked and worked for two years, shooting 90, 95, 92, 98. I mean, 88, I'd hit shanks and I'd hit duck hooks and then I'd hit blocks and I'd hit pulls. Wow. Most people would have kind of given up and I kept going, I kept going, I kept going. And my coach was like, what are you doing? I'm like, I'm close. I felt like Tiger. I'm like, I'm close, <laughs> close. I'm going to play good. I'm going to play good eventually. And then my senior year, I came out, played every event, played great. My coach then wanted me to stay. And I decided to go to Bentley, do my MBA at Bentley, which was probably the best decision I ever made. Because then when I showed up at Bentley, I had a year of eligibility left and I played and I shoot 71 and all of a sudden I win a golf tournament. I'm like, oh, this is cool. And then I shoot 71, 70 and I'd win another one. And and before I knew it, I was racking up these any 10 player of the year awards every week and, and, and victories. And we, we got through to regionals as a team because we won our conference. Just really cool stuff that happened that year that I'd spent a lot of time working towards that looking back, I don't know how I got through it. But I did, and I'm glad I did because it put me in a position now where I've had some of the best experiences I I could ever ask while playing, playing the U.S. Amateur, playing against guys like Justin Thomas and Harris English and playing with Spieth and over the years playing with these guys who at one point in time I was as good as them or I could beat them. And then I kind of, my path kind of changed to 
have a family and get married and enjoy that side of things and still play high level amateur golf. So it's been a fun, it's been a fun ride. So when Harry English, Harris English is in the winner's circle holding the trophy, do you point out to everybody, Hey, wait a minute. I beat that kid. I'm better than him. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I vividly remember I was one of, it might've been the year after I beat him. He won and on the PGA tour and I was shoveling my driveway. <laughs> I text, I texted someone. I said, Texted a picture of myself shoveling my driveway. I said, yeah, Harris English is winning a PGA Tour event <laughs> and here I am shoveling my driveway. But great experience. I remember, I mean, I remember a lot of that day and I'll never forget a lot of that day playing against him and walking in to like where we were, everyone was eating and there was only 16 of us left and Jordan Spieth's there and he's like, hey, how'd you do? And I was like, oh, I, I won. And I beat Harris English. He's like, dude, that's amazing. Like, congrats. And then he was going out and playing. No, no. You line or someone in the afternoon and just really cool memories that I have from, from okay. that week. Yeah. Oh, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, I mean, that just kind of encapsulates what's great about this game. It, not every kid who makes the U S amateur is going to make it in pro golf. I mean, it just isn't going to happen, but <laughs> for a week you can have an experience that you're going to save it for the rest of your life. Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, those, those three years in a row, I made round of 64, lost to Justin Thomas, the round of 16, two years in a row after that, those, those three years in a row were just really special. And my coach at Rollins probably would have been like, there's zero, like if someone had taken like bets as to who could do that, <laughs> it, it wouldn't have been me. Let's put it that way. You might be able to beat Justin Thomas the way he's playing right now, possibly <laughs> to throw a, throw a quick stray bullet at a Justin Thomas, but I, I'm. I'm curious about your coming over from England and playing at Rollins. And I actually am interviewed Jess Baker, who plays at University of Central Florida. She won the women's British Am last year. And she talked a lot about with me her, her she kind of struggled coming over from England, playing in Florida. The golf is so different. The grasses are so different. Was was your decision to kind of make some of these changes because you realized some of the golf that you had learned in England was just, wasn't going to necessarily pay off in playing in the States, playing in Florida, trying to play competitively at whatever level you kind of chose. Is, is that, was that part of your decision or is it just a competitive nature of like, I got to compete with, with this new group of, of players? It was a combination, but mainly due to the fact that I could hit a driver lower than head height. I mean, I, and some of my friends to this day is still like in awe of how low I could hit the golf ball, right? which was cool. Like it's cool to be able to do it. But Jack Nicholas always said, it's very difficult for people who hit it low to hit it high. But if you hit it high, you can hit it low. And I would struggle hitting it high enough to, to have the ball react the way you want it to in Florida and having it land angles and stuff like that, that they talk about now. I just didn't have that ability to be able to hit a five iron that would land on the green and stop. I would hit these low piercing bullets, which was great in the wind, but you know, Binks golf, is I, that's when I was at high school, we play Burnham and Barrow, which is a, a Lynx course in the West of England. That's where we played. And I mean, we were playing the worst weather imaginable. So hitting the ball head high was, if you watched Brian Harmon, like this past weekend, you'd see a lot of his shots. Like he would trap them, hit them low and just get the ball kind of out there running. I mean, that's what you want it to do. So I knew that I couldn't play that golf in Florida and I had some swing flaws in there that were a result of playing a lot of links golf, like a shot club face, kind of leaning on it and really having a steep angle of attack. And 
changing a lot of that stuff to make it to a point where I could hit it high and low versus just hit these straight low bullets. So yeah, there's, and, and I mean, then you, then you throw in the Bermuda grass aspect to it where like, I mean, I still have like memories of not being able to hit a chip shot off a, off a Bermuda lie. I mean, it's still one of the hardest things to do, I think for a, even for a person from the Northeast to be able to go down there and play off some of that stuff just because of how grainy it is and how difficult the, like the shot is from what we're used to playing to what they have to play in Florida. I still kind of get nervous when I go down there and play in that stuff, unless I'm like, unless I'm in like mid-season form, it's okay. But if you go down there early in the year and you, and you get some of those squirrely lights, I mean, it's, it's some of the hardest stuff you'll ever play on. I don't care how good you are. It's, you see some of the, when Tiger was struggling with his chipping, you saw it really exposes you when you, when you're on that Bermuda and you could see that with Tiger. And you saw it with Morikara at the beginning of this year when he went to Hawaii. It was like, the guy has like a five shot lead and blows it. It's like, that happens when you get that grass. So yeah, it was, it's a challenge, but I mean, I, I could have gone two ways, right? I could have kept what I have, probably never played or played a a little bit here or there or choose the hard route where I didn't play for a couple of years and then come out a lot better player and be able to compete kind of now that I'm older. I mean, I... I don't practice really at all. And like, I, I try and play nine holes after work here and there, but it's, it's few and far between, but I've built something that's really stable and solid and I can repeat it, which is what you want to be able to do when you're a mid-am and you have limited time. So did you play other sports growing up? Just thinking about not practicing or just being able to get nine holes in. Yeah, I mean, I, like- uh, in England, we play everything as a kid, really. I mean, I played a lot of football growing up, rugby. But my main sport was actually, so I played a lot of cricket as a kid and I really didn't start playing golf till I was about 12. My, my dad picked it up. My mom was like, get the kids out of the house before they kill each other. <laughs> so my brother and I would go to the range with him and we would just hit balls as hard as we could or hit him at the range picker as you do when you're 12, 13 sure. years old. And then I, I had a choice. I got to 15. I was really good at cricket, but I kind of wasn't getting where I wanted to go. So when I got to 15, I kind of made the choice that I was going to focus more on golf. And that's where I had a handicap of 25 when I was 13. And I think by the time I was 18, I was down to a scratch. So it's like starting late didn't affect me sometimes. And I I got three boys and then people are like, oh, have you got them playing golf? Have you? And I was like, well, not really. I mean, if they want to come to the range, they'll come with me, but I'm not forcing it on because I started very late it, and, it, and I see some people who start early and then they hate the game by the time they're 16, 17 or 18 years old because they've been burnt out by it or whatever. And Golf's a lonely sport. You're individual. You lose 90%, 95% of the time, 99% of the time. So that's hard to take when you're a kid. That's kind of nice to win some matches here and there. Yeah. Talk about, Bobby, you're in a, a pretty elite crowd when you go to the Crump, you go to the Coleman, you go to the, the, the was he the other one? Gasparilla? The tournament Gasparilla you down in the other so you a lot you're, of them, yeah. What's it like being in that that audience with really the elite mediums in the country? It's it's something you hope you never get disinvited to. Once you once you you wait, you never you never ask for the invitation. You kind of wait and wait, hope that your play gets recognized. And you wait for someone to ask, "Would you like to play? Or would you would you would you play if you were invited to the crump?" And in the back of your mind, you're like, I mean. You're going to say something that you would regret. And then you're like, no, I would absolutely love to play, love to be invited versus saying, oh my God, I've been waiting for this for the last 15 years. 
type of thing. It's the best. You're around some of the game's greatest players, influential players. You play the most spectacular golf courses in the perfect condition. And golf's, golf's important when you go there, but at the same time, it's just as important that people want to be around you. There's storytelling going on. There's a lot of stuff besides just golf. That is the reason why you're there. If they went off just straight golf, the, the field might look a little different. And I think they tried to get not only the best players, but the best people that people want to hang out with, want to, want to be around, have interesting things to talk about. It's just a fun week. The Crump is the best, it's the best week of the year as a player. It's the best golf course I've ever played. No matter what everyone says about Pine Valley, it's, it, it's not enough. It's one of those places where people big courses up and then you get there and you're kind of disappointed. Pine Valley, I'd heard all the great stories. I'd heard everything about it and it, it exceeded my expectations. And that's, if you ever get the chance to go change everything, even change your wedding, if you have to, to go it, play it. It seems to me that format really gets the guy's juices flowing too. Oh, it's such a difficult golf course. I mean, two round stroke play on that place is it's, it's insane. And then once you get out of stroke play, match play, the, you, you kind of start to get freed up a little bit and you can play the course without as much fear as you do. I mean, you're one swing away from, from making a 12 at Pine Valley <laughs> and that's just the nature of the beast. But once you get to match play, you know, that 12 doesn't matter if you make it, just, just make seven other birdies and you'll be fine. So it's, it's a really cool format and best week of the year by far. Yeah. I love that. I, I was lucky enough to go and, and just walk the grounds Sunday of last year's Crump Cup. And it is, it, it, everyone is just so happy to be there. Even the guys who have, aren't in the final, aren't in the semifinals and they play the, the alt shot in the morning. Um, mm-hmm. you, you kind of said it exceeded expectations. What's, what's something from Pine Valley or the Crump Cup that kind of like maybe the first time there really blew you away or a story from, from your experience? I mean, the treatment obviously is first class. They treat you like a member the whole week. The, the dinner that they have is very old school jacket tie. It's very like it is in England when you're sitting in this room and you're looking around and you're like USGA champion off the USGA champion, thinking about who's played there. I just, I don't know if I have a one specific story from it. I mean. Playing the par three course with 16 people in a scramble <laughs> format, everyone hitting at the same time is that to me that you could have shot 85, but you go out and, and you play in scramble format, par three with a bunch of friends and, and, and members who are at Pine Valley and you, you, you made to feel like a member. And to me, like that's, that's it right there in a nutshell is that's, that's why you play a lot of these tournaments you gear yourself up for, or you try your goal. I tell people your goal is to, to make it eventually to the crump and to be a, I don't know how many, if any Rhode Island players have played in the crump, I might be the only one. I'm not sure. It's pretty, it's pretty special place to go and to go and be able to do that every year. And you, but that's, that's the one invitation you would really lose sleep over if you, if you never got it back. That's awesome. You got a high school, high school golf coach. Yes. What's that title like? What's that experience? It's a challenge. Like? Yeah, that's a uh, sorry. That's a the high school thing's a challenge. But I've there's some first year things that whether it's paperwork or, or or doing coaches exams or whatever it is, just to get through that first year. But I've been able to. I, I would 
I would leave work and I would, I would never play with the kids. I'd always walk three holes per group. I felt like I would be able to give them more of my time if I did that. If I went and played, I would just be worried about my, myself. So, and I've, I've had a couple, a couple of the players really improve and, and send nice emails or nice notes on, on their improvement and their appreciation for what I've been able to do over this year, which is really cool. Like when you start seeing some, like whether it's people just appreciating what you have or look, me being able to give to them what I know about the game or what I've been through or where I was when I was 14, 15, 16 years old, being able to tell them that I, I was like a 20, 20 handicap at 15, you're, you're way better than I am. Like depends where you want to go with this game. If you want to really take it to the next level, you have the ability to, there's not, there's nothing stopping you. And, and then I had one of the high school players caddy for me during the Northeast Amateur, and then he caddied for me during the State Am for the last couple of days. So having him experience not only the probably the best tournament in the world under 100 player field, I would say the Northeast is, and then be able to experience me winning the Rhode Island Am, like and being on my bag the whole time. I hope that he learned some stuff, and I'm pretty I'm pretty sure that he did. So passing those experiences on to them is it, it's 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 nice to be able to do. And I, I feel like I would have appreciated that as a young high school kid too. So I'm trying to like see it through their eyes. Like I try and picture myself, what is it? 20, 20 odd years ago, whatever it was. Wow. Yeah. It doesn't seem like that long ago, but it was. So <laughs> goes yeah. by fast, right? Yeah. Yeah. It goes by too fast. <laughs> That's terrific. You get, I know you have some more golf to play this summer. Yeah. Some really good stuff. And but it's already been probably for you. It's been a great year already. I know the Rhode Island AM means a lot to you. Yeah, I, I mean, it's the I think the hardest one to win. Even though I haven't won the stroke play, the stroke play is the one I haven't won yet. I still believe that the Rhode Island AM is it's it's the one everyone wants to win. It's the hardest one to win. It takes a whole week of just getting up at four thirty in the morning to get to Montauk in time because it takes me like an hour to get there. Like it's stuff like that that. You're exhausted. The end of the week comes and you just, just don't want to move for, for the weekend. But yeah, it's, it's the one you want your name on at the end of the day. It's the one with the most history and just try trying to win it again. I know how hard it is. So whether I will or not, I don't know, but I'll, I'll give them my best. Awesome. What's the last question for me, just thinking about all the stuff you have accomplished. Is there, is there something that in the back of your mind, you'd you you're still hoping to check off your list, whether it's winning an event or participating in a certain event, qualifying for something. What 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 still drives you forward when you go play those evening nine holes or or beat up on the bishop bishop Hendrick kids? I mean, I still love just competing. I think if I'd stop playing golf, I'd have to find something else to compete in. So it's like the competitive drive that that gets me. But I'm good friends with Matt Paziali and Matt Wad, the U.S. Mid-Am back in 2017, I believe, mm -hmm. 2018. Uh, and then winning that is obviously a goal. I mean, it's very, very hard to do. And then I missed out on the U.S. Open by, I think it was either one or two shots five years ago. And that still gets me. Like that still is, is I was leading, I was second after the first round and I made a bad double on my second round. And I still remember that whole hold to this day, like every shot that I hit. So stuff like that, that will, I'll forever like take with me. Like you can never accomplish everything. You can just have something to work towards and like working towards that, trying to play in a U.S. Open and trying to win a U.S. Mid-Am. They're not 
far-fetched goals. I mean, they're achievable, no. but yep. you know, where I am in my life at the moment, they might be far-fetched with the three kids and taking care of them and making sure they grow up to be good human beings is more important. But I also have that picture in my mind of, I can do this. I will, all I need is one good week. So that's the thing about golf is you can have it for one week and you can, and you can be the best player in the world. So it just has to happen at the right time. Yep. Excellent. Well, Bobby, thanks for giving us your time this afternoon. Good luck the rest of the summer. We'll be following along and, and, and take care. Thanks, Bobby. Great. Thanks very much. Thanks, thanks for having me on. You take yeah. care. As always, we're going to finish our podcast today with Golf Course Confidential. I, or we, but mainly I choose a golf course that I think I'd love to talk about with you, Jim. Sometimes you've played it, sometimes you haven't. Today, we're going to go to Maine, the southern part of Maine, southern. in York, and just want to share a golf course called The Ledges, which you said you've played many years ago. Played it many years ago on a fall day. Oh, okay. That's lovely. Was, uh, yeah, it was, we figured we'd better off in Maine in, in early October or late September than even early May. Yep. And it actually was dry. Yep. And it was a beautiful day. And I, I don't, I can't sit here and say, I don't know why I've never been back there because yeah. we thoroughly enjoyed it. Yeah, it's in it's in York, which you know, if you live in Boston or even just a little Not south of Boston, as a guy who doesn't like going north, true. As you've said in previous podcasts, Have to you get over the bridge. <laughs> you you went north, played the ledges. I played there last summer. I met a friend who grew up in Maine and was up seeing his family in Portland, and uh, we kind of met in the middle and and played the ledges. I I thought it was really great. It's like your kind of typical. Uh, New England golf. Some people love like the tree-lined, rocky, hilly stuff. Some people don't really love it. I'm kind of in the middle. If it's done well, it's great. When it's done, just to be done, and you're got all these no, big old they, trees. And I thought they did it well. Yeah, it's a great. It's a great design. It's hard. It's as hard as you want it to be because you can. You, there's a bunch of different tees. Te- yeah. The Corn Ferry Tour had their Monday qualifier there. Yes. For the work in Maine event that they had in maybe 21 and 22 and they don't have it anymore and yeah it's an easy enough drive from eastern massachusetts from boston where i live and it's 90 bucks to walk on the weekends which is i i kind of did a double take when i was on the website that's a pretty good price um Mm -hmm. these days for for public golf it's that's like good good public golf you gotta you gotta kind of qualify that at this point but you start to get you can get to over 100 bucks pretty quickly Easy. in massachusetts when Easy. you're when you're walking on a weekend you throw in a golf cart obviously if you want to ride it's it's a tough walk you're getting over 100 bucks but you know you, the tips out at like i think over seven thousand yards the par three eighth hole is kind of i don't know if you remember this one it's all in all the pictures it's like a downhill over water i'm sure in the fall when we're we're not that far from fall golf no sadly as we as we bake in the humidity of July, so it's kind of nice to think about it. But it's a it's a good spot to go and uh, and play and cross the border. I do I do remember it, and it, it kind of even well, I'm a lot older than I was when I played them. But I imperative, I think most places are, but up there imperative play the play the correct tee. Yes, for sure. You can don't be please don't be one of these people who think oh I always play and pick a color blue white. Yep. Or your yardage, um, even, because the yardages can get funky with the uh, elevation changes yeah, and stuff. And, uh, well, I was going to say, circle the elevation and then add 
something to it because you're gonna you're gonna have a few hundred and sixty five yard shots. That's what you got left in there, but it's more like one seventy five, yep. one eighty. Force carries. A uh, few force carries. Yeah, but please play the correct ease. Yeah, for sure. And and it also has a driving range, nice big practice kind of area. The clubhouse kind of scene was was pretty good too. So a good spot to go and play, have some lunch or have some lunch and then go play and kind of spend a day. As you were just talking about like distances, are you are you a range like a laser finder are you, you use a laser are you are you hunting for sprinkler head still jim uh, you, you're 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 a sprinkler i do guy. i do i kind of always tell caddies I, I don't need anything until i get to 150 yeah once i'm once at 150 i like to kind of know but once i'm beyond 150 i can okay it's 150 but i can tell it's going to play 160 yep or it might play 135 or something if you don't i mean i I, do, I don't waste a lot of time, <laughs> and I, I'm not. I hate to say I'm not good enough, but I, I also think people waste too much time if yep. they if they don't have the game to if laser in on those 175 shots. And I look at 175. Okay, that's a it's a, a hard shot. Yep, for me. One thing I found, harkening back to the beginning of this podcast, is now that I don't have a range finder. Because I refuse to spend money on another one, um, and my uh, without my golf clubs, I've I've actually enjoyed playing. I still have it, like I have a GPS on my phone, but I can't yeah. dial in like exactly where the flag is anymore. And I'm hitting. I think I'm hitting better shots into greens without knowing like exactly how far because that number isn't in my brain. And I think that can kind of mess with you. But and that's that's neither here nor there for now. Right. The ledges, go check it out. It's in York, Maine. You can walk for ninety bucks on the weekends if you like kind of the rugged, rocky, just blown out of a lot of outcroppings and, and a good a good walk if you are if you are prone to walking. Go check it out. Go enjoy it. Maybe stop by Kittery on the way back and hit hit up the outlets. Maybe you need a new hobby after you play the legends and you decide <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna try some fishing or something else. All right. Just want to uh, give a quick thanks to our producer Dave Yaz. Thank you for listening to the On Course podcast. Please rate review and subscribe we are on anywhere that you listen to your podcasts the on course podcast is a siemens media production